This is Listen Again with the Bridge, your opportunity to hear Sunday's message. We hope you enjoy listening, and it all starts right now. Will you turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 28? Matthew 28. We're going to begin reading in the first verse. begin. After the Sabbath at dawn, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. Kind of stinks to be just known as the other Mary, right? (laughs) The other Mary. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning. His clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him, and they shook and became like dead men. And the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you're looking for Jesus, who is crucified and is not here. He has risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Now, hearing this scripture, some of you think I'm preparing to give you some kind of Easter message as we read where Jesus has risen from the tomb. But actually, I want to point out three little words in verse 2. Look back at that with me. It says, There was a violent earthquake, for the angel of the Lord came down from heaven, and going to the tomb, he rolled back the stone, and what's it say? He sat on it. Everybody look at your neighbor and say, He sat on it. He sat on it. Now, if I'm writing this story, I picture an angel, first of all. I I mean, everybody's got a different imagination, but I'm just picturing this big, you know, 15-foot huge angel with wings and you know he just looks at the stone and it rolls away I mean he could have done anything in that moment he's probably just hovering I don't think he walked up obviously it says he came down so I don't know that he ever even touched the ground until the moment that he sat on the stone which is interesting to me I mean that dude could have he could have you know had the bright light and other angels singing you know whatever but instead he sat on the stone You ever hear the phrase, actions speak louder than words? I think that this is one of those moments where the actions of this angel are speaking way more than what words could have spoken. I find it interesting that he sat on it. What caused you to sit where you're sitting right now? When you walked in here, maybe you were one of the first ones in, so you get free reign. You get to choose, where do I want to sit? Some of you, I know you well enough now, you sit in the same spots, maybe not the same seat, but you're going for the same area every time. That's just where you sit. Some of you, you're walking in, you're looking for where people are not. You want to sit where, okay, there's people there, I'm not going to go there, I want to come over here. Some of you want to be in the back. Hello, back row people. Some of you are into the aisle, people, Your movies, church, wherever you're at. I'm not sitting anywhere but at the end of the aisle. Any of you want to confess this morning? I know. I'm probably one of those. I get the front row, so I could do whatever I want, right? Yeah, Kathy. <laughs> Kathy, always right here. That's right. We have a reason for where we sit. Doesn't matter who you are. And here's the thing. Hopefully, you don't just think I'm talking about you're behind this morning. We're talking about where our soul sits. 
Maybe you're strategic in where you sit because you have kids and you're wanting to make sure you have an exit in case they go crazy on you. Or maybe other people have kids and you don't want to sit by them because they make noise and you want to be able to hear. I don't know. We think through the process as to where we're going to sit because where you sit matters. But I'm more interested in where your soul sits than where your behind sits. This angel is presenting to us the idea that where we sit matters. And our soul is our mind, our will, and our emotions. Those things play a part in where we sit. Our mind, our will, and our emotions. There's a couple things that matter when you're sitting down. First of all, there's a reason you're sitting. Sometimes it's because we're tired. I mean, we've had a long day. We come in, we sit down. That's just what we like to do. I was antsy in school. I'm going to be honest with you. The teachers probably did not like me, but I hated sitting down all day. So I would ask my teacher, and they were gracious enough to let me. I would literally stand next to my desk, or if I was in the way, they would let me stand at the back of the room. And I would even pace back and forth. I just couldn't stand to sit still. So why are we sitting? Typically, it's because, well, we're in church. we got to sit right? Or maybe, again, we're tired. But then the second thing is where you're sitting. Those two play a part in sitting down. And I got to tell you, it was very good for me this week to take a vacation. I, maybe you're like me, it was about the third day before I actually was able to disconnect from everything back home. Anybody like that? It's just like, it takes a little while. You're on vacation, but you're not totally there yet. You're still thinking about what's going on at home. And finally, about the third day, I was able to kind of disconnect from that. But what's funny is by the fifth day, I'm ready to come home because I'm already thinking about what I want to do when I get there. Some of you might be like me. I don't know. But on Tuesday... Courtney and Tessa and I, Connor decided to stay at the condo, so the three of us walked over to the beach. And I remember this very vividly, I'll remember this for a long time, because in that moment, thankfully, again, I believe this was all orchestrated by God, I didn't ask Courtney to do this, typically I'm the fun dad that likes, not that she's boring, you already know her, she's a lot of fun, but... I typically am the one the kids are saying, Dad, come play in the ocean with me. Dad, come play in the pool with me. Am I right? Okay, so this day she decided to get, and get up and play with Tessa in the sand. And I literally got to sit down. And in that moment, it wasn't just my body sitting. I mean, my mind, everything just kind of sat. I began to process everything that's happened over the last two and a half, almost three years since we've come to Maryville. We got here planning to pastor this church, which we're doing and we're loving. And little did I know, not too long after I got here, I found myself helping in leading worship and encouraging people in the the style of worship we wanted to have and and how we wanted to do that. And so I found myself leading worship and we're starting a youth ministry trying to keep the college students going. And then we were able to bring Josh and Heather on and they're helping us get the youth ministry going. And then David came along and he's helping with worship. So I was able to step out of worship and step back from that. And then Josh and Heather, if you remember, decided they were going to step down to focus on their family, which I totally understand. But then that left a hole. So Courtney and I stepped into that. And for six months, we were youth pastors. 
while pastoring. And so I, when I sat down, I mean, all of that just began to come back, and I just recapped everything that had gone on. And I just began to thank God for carrying us through that, for helping us through every single day, through every single moment. And I just began to sit. And it felt so good. Sometimes we sit, and we don't even realize we're sitting until we're there. And then we get up, and it's like, whoa, what just happened? And I want to show you one of those moments in the Bible. It's pretty important where we sit, and be careful where you sit. Not every time is it symbolic in the Bible. I believe this angel sat on that stone for a reason, but I want to show you another instance. It's in the Old Testament. If you want to look at 1 Kings chapter 19 with me. 1 Kings chapter 19, it's the story of Elijah, and Elijah has just come off of a huge victory. He's just taken out hundreds of the prophets of Baal, and he's basically had this experience where God used him in a mighty way. And this woman named Jezebel finds out about it. She's not happy, so she sends a message to Elijah and says, the same thing that you did to the prophets of Baal, I'm going to do to you by tomorrow. And she basically gives him a death threat, if you will. I don't know why, but in this moment, where we're going to pick up, it says Elijah is afraid. If you knew what he just came from doing, you would go, why? Why in the world would he be afraid when God just used him in such a way? But I want you to see this, 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 3. Look at what it says. Elijah was afraid, so he ran for his life. And when he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there. While he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, and look at what it says, he came to a broom bush, he sat under it, and prayed that he might die. Came to a broom bush, sat under it, and prayed that he would die. He was sitting down physically, but he was sitting down emotionally. He was sitting down spiritually. He was done. He just melted in that moment, so much so that he's suicidal. And again, he's just come from a huge victory. But one simple thing coming from Jezebel, and all of a sudden, he sits down to pray that he might die. I find that some of our lowest times come after some of our greatest victories. Isn't that interesting? That some of our lowest times come after some of our greatest victories. But I want you to see the significance of him sitting under this broom bush. A broom bush meant something. That's what I love about Scripture is it shows us there's meaning behind lots of things. So let me give you three things about a broom bush that you probably didn't know. First of all, it's also known as a juniper tree. Maybe you've heard of that. But it's a broom bush is what they used in the Scripture. And here's three things about it. The first one, the broom bush grows in a dry place. Desertous region. It says he went out into the desert by himself and he sat under the broom bush. You have to watch where you sit. If you're sitting in a place that's dry and weary and desertous, you need to check your souls and say, why am I sitting here? Why am I in this dry place? Why didn't I pick a more fruitful place? A more wholesome, healthy place to sit. The second thing about a broom bush is it's a bitter root. You actually could eat it. 
But it wasn't something you wanted to eat. It wasn't like, mm, man, I'm craving some broom bush root. No, it was very bitter and it was not good, but it was edible. It's kind of like kale in our world, you know? Nobody goes around going, oh, I can't wait to get out of here and just go to lunch and have some kale. If you say that, you're strange and weird and I don't understand you. But uh, kale is not something that you just want to munch on, right? It's disgusting. <laughs> But if you're poor and struggling or nowhere else to go, you might eat some. And that's where the broom bush was. It was a bitter root. And if we allow ourselves to sit under the broom bush of unforgiveness or the broom bush of depression or whatever it might be, we find ourselves feeding on bitterness. In a dry and weary place, we have to watch where we sit. The third thing about a broom bush is that they would use the twigs they were binding they use them to bind things. And so I don't think it's by accident that he sat under a broom bush where it was dry, where bitterness was there, and where he was bound. And he literally prayed that he would die. Interesting. So let's compare these two. We have the angel where a violent earthquake happens. Angel of the Lord came down from heaven. Going to the tomb, he rolled the stone away and he sat on it. It's interesting, the Greek word for sit under it. You know what it is? Sit under it. <laughs> it really is. But the Greek word for on, he sat on the tomb or the, the stone. The Greek word for on is above, beyond, or more than. Think about that. He sat on it. He could have just, again, he could have just stayed where he was, hovering over everything. He could have dabbed in that moment for all I know. But what did he do? He sat on the stone. The very thing that the devil was using to try to stop Jesus, the angel comes down, moves it out of the way, and he sits on it. As to say, this isn't going to work. My God is greater than this. You can't stop him. I want to ask you a question. What's the enemy tried to roll in front of you? Where do you find yourself sitting? Is it in a dry place where bitterness grows? Do you find yourself bound by something? Anger, depression, exhaustion, relational issues, whatever the devil is trying to put in front of you. I love the idea that we get to make the decision. We can either sit under it or we can sit on it. The circumstances are there and we have the choice. You can sit under it or you can choose to sit on it and you can say, I'm not going to let this defeat me. Because here's what happened. What was meant for defeat became a seat. Will you say that with me? What was meant for defeat? Let's try everybody in the room. What was meant for defeat became a seat. Sometimes the very thing the devil's going to use to roll in front of you, you know what? You can find that God will overcome that. You find yourself sitting on it. You don't have to sit under it. You don't have to take that. When I think about my father-in-law sharing his story last week, he had a choice. He could have said, you know what? My stepfather, the alcoholic, the abusive guy, that's just who I'm going to be. That's what I'm raised in, so that's what I'm going to become. But he didn't choose to sit under it. He chose to sit on it. 
He chose to get over the bitterness, to be willing to forgive, to become a father that could raise his children in a healthy way, to be a great, wonderful grandfather to my children. He had to make a choice. He could sit on it or he could sit under it. We choose and what we choose impacts not only us, it impacts those around us. 2 Kings chapter 10, verse 30, the Lord said this to Jehu. This is God speaking. Because you have done well in accomplishing what is right in my eyes and have done to the house of Ahab, all I had in mind to do, your descendants will sit on the throne of Israel for four generations. It didn't just affect him. Four generations following were going to be blessed because of his right decisions. Your right decisions are going to make a difference in those that follow. It's why I'm excited to share with you about the youth ministry and where we're trying to take it because that's the next generation. And what we do now and what we choose to do now is going to make a difference not only in that generation, but in the generations to come. And it comes to us and we have a choice. We can sit on it or we can sit under it. You made the decision to be debt-free. Your kids are going to benefit from that. Your grandkids may benefit from that. You make a choice to be a loving mother. Your kids and your grandkids are going to benefit from that. I want to give you the perfect example of somebody who did what we can learn from today, and his name is Jesus. Paul talks about it in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, and he says this. Let us run with perseverance, the race marked out for us. This is a very common portion of scripture. We all know it. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer or author and perfecter of our faith. But I want you to see the next line. What does it say? For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. It wasn't the joy that was happening right then. It was the joy set before him that he endured the cross. He was willing to go to the cross because he knew what was on the other side of hanging on that cross. It wasn't because many times we get this idea that Jesus, because he was partly God, he chose and just wanted to go to the cross. No, that's not what the Bible tells us. We see that Jesus did not want to go. He despised the cross. He prayed if this is... Your will, I'll do it, but if you can take this from me, please do. He was able to endure the cross because of the joy set before him. He looked beyond what he was about to go through. And some people say that battle was won at Golgotha, which is the hill in which Christ died, which is very true, but that battle began in Gethsemane. It began in the garden when Jesus made the choice to do, he said, I'm going to sit on this thing. I'm going to be willing to go to the cross so that everyone else can benefit. He sat down at the right hand of the throne of God and he sits there today. That's our king. He was willing to endure the cross. The joy set before him. How many of you enjoy saving seats? It's never fun, is it? When you're headed to the movies and someone calls and says, I'm running late, save me a seat. That's the worst. You're like, do I have a coat? Do I have anything I can set there? I gotta make it look like somebody's there. And then you're like, what if they don't show? And then I've saved a seat for nobody. And you just feel dumb. You've had those moments, right? Nobody likes saving seats. It's the worst. 
There's a term coined in 1954 called the seat of emotions. Do you know that? The seat of emotions. And really what it's talking about, I'm sure some of you will be surprised at this, but there's three parts of our brain. And some of you spouses are thinking, I, I don't think my husband got any of those, but there's three parts of the brain is what this is talking about. It's the survival part of the brain. That's what just keeps us breathing. I mean, you're sitting there living right now because your brain is working. It's doing it whether you're thinking about it or not. That's the survival part. Then there's the, this logical part of the brain. The logical part is where we get, you know, our executive skills. Some of this, actually studies show, some of this doesn't even form or, or completely take place until in your 20s. It takes a while. So don't worry about your kids. It's okay that they're not there yet on this part of the brain. It's the logical part. It will still come. But then the third part is the emotional part of the brain. The part of the brain that decides where your emotions are going to take a seat. Our brain literally is in a battle all the time. You know when someone upsets you and you have to ask that question, do I punch them in the face or do I just sit here and do nothing? I, I have to tell on myself, I hate doing this, but I am going to tell it. Okay, this is how I work. We're on our way to Florida. We drove. You, three, four, ten, I don't know how many times. There was a lot of times. There was road construction. And so both lanes come into one, right? Something I cannot stand is when I'm in this long line of cars waiting to get up there and people come zooming by right down until the very end of the lane and then they tr turn their blinker on and try to get over. Anybody know what I'm talking about? I'm going to tell myself, I don't let that happen. I can't stand it. There's a justice inside of me that says, this isn't right. They're cutting in line. So what I do is I move our van over to the middle lane, right in the middle. I'm not in either lane. I get a partner behind me who will join me in this, and they'll stay there, and then I stay here, and I don't let anybody buy. And you know what? We get through faster because nobody's up there turning their blinker on and trying to get... I, I can't. I can't let it go. I don't know if it's legal. Adam, is that legal? Probably not. It's not legal. I figured Adam would know. He's a highway patrolman. So he would pull me over if I did that. But I'm going to do it anyway, Adam. I'm sorry. I can't let it go. Those people are cutting in line. That's one of those things where I just, my emotions take over and I'm like, I'm not going to let them cut. So I just ride the middle lane. I'm sorry, Adam. <laughs> Courtney's over there just, what are you doing? Quit. And I just do it. And I was trying to get her to do it a couple times. She wouldn't do it. When she was driving, she won't do it. Therefore, I drive most of the time. <sighs> I feel so much better right now. I'm telling you, that just felt good to get that off get that off my chest. These emotions, these decisions that our brains are making all the time, it's called the seat of emotions. And here's what Philippians tells us. Philippians 4, 6. I don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, I offer my request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard my heart and my mind in Christ. I have a choice. I can sit on it, or I can sit under it. I can let the peace of God come in and control my emotions, or I can be anxious. It's a choice. It's up to us. We get to decide. This is why Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, we talked about this just before I'm, I left for vacation. We talked about how we take our thoughts captive and make them obedient to Christ. That is a choice we have. When you're sitting there and fear comes creeping down the aisle, you know what you can say? 
Seat saved. Peace belongs here. This is a seat saved for peace. You cannot come here. When self-pity or depression or anxiety comes in, you can say, seat saved. Only joy comes here. That seat saved for joy. You can't have it. You have a choice. It's the seat of emotions, and it's a decision that you can make. We're going to be mindful of where our soul sits. We're going to be saving seats for the right emotions. And here's the best part. The best part I've been looking forward to, say, to telling you this morning is a seat has been saved for you. I don't like saving seats, but I love it when a seat has been saved for me. Anybody with me on that? I don't like it when somebody tells me, hey, make sure you keep me a seat. But when they say, I'm running late, and I say, can you save me a seat? It's kind of fun. Like at a concert, when you walk down late, and you go right down to the front, third, second, first row, and you just got a seat right there for you. You just kind of sit down and look around at everybody else. They're like, where's he been? It feels good. You feel important. A seat was saved for you. Listen, this is not a seat you can pay for. Even if you could, you couldn't earn it. You couldn't afford it. Our sin, our shame, our mistakes say that we don't belong. But the righteousness of Christ invites us to be seated in rightful places. A seat has been saved for you. Ephesians 2, 6. Ephesians 2, 6. God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in heavenly places. You don't have to sit where it's dry. You don't have to sit where there's bitterness growing and where you want to feed on that root of bitterness. You don't have to sit where you're bound. A seat has been saved for you in the right place, in heavenly places. Revelation 3.21, to the one who is victorious, I will give you the right or give the right to sit with me on my throne. There has been a seat Save for you. And some of you have walked through depression. You've walked through the dry places and you've kept feeding on that bitterness and you've had a hard time getting over it. And I'm telling you, you don't have to. It's a choice. You can sit on it. You don't have to sit under it. Will you bow your heads with me? A seat has been saved for you. What I love about the story of Elijah is he went out to the desert and he sat under the broom bush and he prayed that he would die. The Bible says that God came along through an angel, provided him with a meal, with bread and water. A second time, angel came and provided him with bread and water. And he was led to a mountain where God wanted to speak to him. I love this story because the Bible tells us that wind came and the wind blew fiercely. But God wasn't in the wind. The earth shook with an earthquake. There's a lot of power in an earthquake. But God wasn't in the earthquake. Fire came down. The Bible says God wasn't in the fire. It was actually in the silence. In a still, small voice, God whispered to Elijah. You know why I think he whispered? To say, I'm close. I'm right here with you. 
I don't have to yell. I don't have to shout. I'm right here with you. I don't know where you've been sitting today. If you've been in a dry and weary place, if you've been finding yourself feeding on bitterness, if you've been bound by addiction, by unforgiveness, whatever it may be, you don't have to anymore. You have a choice. A seed has been saved for you. So here's what I want to do today. I want to let God speak in the silence. I'm going to remember that moment that I had on the beach. My wife, Tessa, nobody else knew what God was doing in that moment. It was nice just to, again, look back at all that he had done for me in my life. In the last couple years, what he carried me through. It was nice just to sit. But you know what? He's not done. I can't stay in that place. I'd love to stay on the beach. It's a nice place. But there is so much more to be done. And when I got up, I was ready to go. I was ready for what God had for me next. And he's got so much more for you. Doesn't matter your age. Doesn't matter how long you've been with God. You've served God for 60 years. Can I tell you? There's 60 more years of stuff you can be doing. Whatever it is that God has done in your life, he's not finished yet. But in this moment, I want to let him speak in the silence. You know why? Because he's close. I pray that he'll whisper to you today. The still small voice. So I'm going to ask that you guys just keep playing. You don't need to sing anything at this moment. Let's just let God speak.
Jesus, we come to you today and we say thank you that you were willing to endure the cross. You made a choice. A choice to die on our behalf. It's because of that choice that we have a seat saved for us. That we don't have to sit in the dry and weary places. We can go where there's fruit, where there's love, where there's joy, where there's peace, patience, and kindness. All that you give. You first led by example in living that life in front of us. Then you pass that on to us. Thank you that we don't have to sit there. We can make the choice to sit on it, not under it. I pray that you continue to speak to us, that we will take those moments in your presence to allow you to speak into our lives so that when we get up, God, we're ready to go. We're ready to do what you've called us to do. We're ready to be who you've called us to be. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.